You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode six. Today we're going to be talking about working with the mentally ill. And joining me today is Officer Sonny. How are you you doing? I'm good, Mark. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. I, you know, we have a lot of memories together, a lot of stories to talk about. And I think that you'll agree that like working with the mentally ill can be the most satisfying and it also can be the most challenging. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, you started at a different time than I did. I started at the prison in 97. What what year did you start? 87. Wow. So there was probably less rules, less policy, less understanding on how to work with the mentally ill. Yes, so, there there wasn't really. Uh, they kind of just made it up as they went along or until somebody sued them and then they come up with a policy on how to treat the mentally ill. Isn't that amazing how when it costs them money, they kind of look at things differently? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, back then we didn't have a SWAT team. We didn't have a force cell. We had uh, two guys two officers that used a mattress as a shield and then you'd go in and pin the guy down until you could get him secured or cuffed up or whatever. And now I think something happens. They wait, call for SWAT to come in and they have all the cool toys. And by the time the SWAT team gets there, whoever's putting up the fight's usually gone to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I know that the response time, you know, and, uh, because a lot those guys weren't 24 hours a day when when I worked there. They were there during the day doing their lifting the weights and running around and training and <laughs> looking at each other and admiring each other's bodies and flexing in front of the mirror. Yeah, I don't know why I never ended up as a member of SWAT. I just would have because they know. didn't they didn't need a SWAT oiler. They needed somebody <sighs> to be a SWAT team member, not just a you know. They can't use a fluffer. Come on, fluffer. pick me, pick me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think they fluff each other, to be honest. Oh, they they definitely, they definitely did. I'm envious. <laughs> Working with the mentally ill, there's definitely some challenges you can imagine for people that have never worked inside a prison. When you're working with somebody that's mentally ill and they've done some horrific crime, they come in. A lot of these guys, and Sonny, tell me if I'm wrong here, when they're stabilized on their medication, they could be your neighbor. You know, yeah, you got great, to... great people. I'm still yeah. friends with some of them, actually. Yeah. I've been retired for 13 years. That's crazy. That's awesome, mm-hmm. though. But yeah. I mean, when they're stable on their meds, they're they're fantastic. But yep. <laughs> when they're when they're not on their meds, well, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, you know, it started back in the late 70s when the ACLU stepped in and said, hey, you can't lock up mentally ill people just for being mentally ill. Right. So all the mental institutions kicked everybody out on the street. Nobody to take care of them. They started getting in trouble. States figured out, hey, wait a minute, we got rooms in the prison. Let's just put them in there. It, it's so, really, I mean, all joking aside, it actually is really sad. How it is. I think that law enforcement has started to realize that 
people with mental illness, you got to got to handle them differently. And I know that they have specialized training. A lot of police departments are very progressive in, in how they're handling the mental illness in the community and criminals and stuff, realizing that they shouldn't be treated the same as somebody that is um, high on drugs. And a lot of times right. those mistakes happen. And it's unfortunate that the mentally ill you know, don't get if, the treatment they need. If new police officers, I'm talking right out of the Academy of Police Officers, were made to do two years working in the prison, they got out on the street, they would never ever touch their gun. They would have the, the, the tools in their head to handle damn near any situation on the street. You know, I don't, I don't tell a lot of people this, Sonny, but you know, I've always been kind of intimidated by, by guns, you know, I mean, I handling the guns and the training and stuff. And, and it was a little bit of a turn on because one cock and I was ready to blow. (laughs) <laughs> you don't even have to do that. I have a gun in your hand for that. <laughs> so let's let's jump right into it and let's talk about the different things that we've seen, witnessed, experienced dealing with the mentally ill. And I know that one story you talk about is somebody that came to Pill Line and there was something off about a smell. <laughs> well, Pill Line, for those of you that don't know what it is, is like three times a day they ring a bell and inmates go to certain areas to receive their medication and there's always an officer there to stand by just to make sure that you know everybody takes their meds the way they're supposed to and nobody's hoarding their meds or whatever and I was standing at pill line one day and this inmate came up to me and while he's standing next to me waiting for his pills I could smell this weird smell something wasn't right and uh, the guy had his hand tucked in his shirt like Napoleon and I said, come here, man, what's going on? What do you got in your shirt? I got nothing, man, but I got to get it out of there. And I, I pulled him aside and what do you have to get out of there? And he pulled his hand out and opened up his shirt. And this cat had split himself from his, uh, what's that little thing called right between your tits? <laughs> Septum? You know, the one they tell you not to break off when you're doing CPR. Anyway, <laughs> they had split him, he had split himself from there down to just above his navel and had been putting like pencils and paper and all kinds of shit in there. And this had been an open wound for so long that it wasn't even bleeding anymore. There was just this clear liquid coming out of it. Uh, And we cuffed him behind his back and took him into the infirmary and they pulled, God, I I can't remember all the stuff, pencils. I don't remember pencils and paper and something else. The psychiatrist on duty came in and talked to him, and they decided to send him up to the University of Utah to get fixed, sew him back up. After they sewed him up, it was practice to somebody that was doing, what do you call self-harm, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we would restrain them in some way. And in this case, we put them on what was called a four-point board, which is a basically a stretcher with handcuffs and leg irons so that they can't reach their wounds and open them hurt themselves again took this guy a month to get healed up completely because every time we give him a break he'd pull a stitch out or something anyway they got him balanced on his medication took him off the four-point board everything was good finished his time in prison and when he got out he sued the prison for cruel and unusual punishment because we had basically pinned him down until he healed and i think he won the suit to be honest with you yeah, it's one of the situations where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Our job was to, because we're both retired, to protect them from themselves and from others. 
Right. And, and for the mentally ill, a lot of times it was just like what you're describing. It's from themselves. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's great. We talk to guys while they're sitting there sawed on their neck, you know, cut themselves on their neck. I talked to a guy while I watched him peel his toenails from the bed of his foot. Oh, I mean, completely take the whole fucking toenail off, not just the little part on the end. This dude peeled all 10 toenails off of his toes. Kind of like um, Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. When yeah. He's pulling out yeah. His, his nails right from the bed. Right. <clears throat> and it, I had to hurt. <laughs> My God. I don't. Well, you know, it, it's funny because, like, the pain threshold for a lot of these guys must have been really high. And I don't know if they're just so used to it over the years of hurting themselves that they become accustomed to that level of pain. I couldn't do it. No. I couldn't either. I had a situation, and this is this is kind of like baptism by fire. I'm brand new on the job training in the prison. I'm in the infirmary, and they've got this guy just like you described, where he's he's four pointed on this board in a cell, and he had cut himself open and he taken a bunch of little disposable razor blades. He took them out of the plastic holder, you know, that you would use to shave. He just takes out the metal and then he'd shoved it in his gut once he gutted himself, cut himself open. And I remember the doctor was sitting there and the guys, they allow him to sit up, they undo his hands and they're talking to him and he's really hungry. And, and they're like, well, we can't let you eat until we get whatever's inside your stomach there we, until we get it out, the incision. And he's like, is that the only reason I can't eat? And they're like, yeah, that's it. So he took two fingers right in front of me and he reaches into his gut and he fishes out these razor blades and he pulls them out and he flicks them on the ground. <laughs> and the, the doctor's like, is that all of them? And he's like, yeah, that's it. It's like, okay, he can go ahead and eat. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, this is a career for me. I can't wait. This is exciting. <laughs> it's amazing what sometimes the simplest little fixes for these. We had a notorious inmate there. Everybody knew him from New York. And he would, <laughs> he would get spun up. Once he got spun up, there was really no consoling him. Sometimes he would pop a varicose vein on his leg and let it squirt out through the cell, you know, and just make a mess for everybody. A lot of times, all he wanted was a radio, you know, just something to listen to. So when he'd get really bad, I kept this radio in my locker. I'd go get it, plug it in outside the cell, and that was all it took. What, what did he listen to? What type of music was it? that? Uh, he liked the oldies. Okay, of course he did. Because yeah. I know who you're talking about. And yeah. that, you know, it's funny because as you're talking about him, I remember there was a particular female sergeant that worked with him in the mental health unit and one time had gone to his cell and he was constipated at the time. So he decided <laughs> to go ahead and dig it out because it was uncomfortable. <laughs> so she had to cuff him out. So you drop the cuff port, he puts his hands out and his hands are just covered, covered in with shit. shit. <laughs> and she had a really hard time not vomiting a couple officer officer please help me oh sergeant sergeant i'm gonna call her melissa in his voice officer melissa please i've got poo finger and and she got the cuffs on him and pulled him out but you know for years officer kishlis and i would always joke with her and say oh please melissa i've got poo finger and she, even just saying that would get her so grossed out and and tony and i we were we we love to taunt this poor girl, but we would take uh, chocolate because they used to get the little Debbie snack cakes in their meals <laughs> and cover our fingers so it looked like shit on our fingers and then go up to her and say, oh, please, <laughs> officer. <laughs> it was it was just a different time period, wouldn't you say? 
Sonny. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you work inside with the mentally ill, your aversion to certain things <laughs> has a tendency just to go away. Shit and piss don't bother you anymore. No. It washes off, you know? No. One, one year, I can't remember when it was, uh, one of our officers got killed coming to work, uh. and we all got dressed up to went to his funeral. We put on our dress blues, you know, with all the ribbons and bows and all that bullshit. And when the... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> when the funeral was over, I had a shift and I was working in the infirmary on the psych unit. And I had a inmate in there who they called Sparky. And they called him Sparky because when he was in the state hospital, he apparently received electroshock therapy on a regular basis and it made him better. He liked it, but he <laughs> couldn't get it inside the prison. So he would take aluminum foil and stick it in the outlets and shock the shit out of himself wow trying to make himself better me and sparky had a pretty good relationship i get done with his funeral i come in go onto the unit and walk down the tier to check on the eight psych inmates and that's another story and i get down to the end to sparky's cell and he's standing there shaking a shampoo bottle and i hey what's going on and he takes the lid off shampoo bottle and it, he squeezes it and this god awful shit comes out, hits me in the chest, splashes in uh, my face, runs down my pants, and it's a bottle of shit and piss that he's collected for God knows how long. And it's like, I just shook my head and I said, dude, I thought we were better than this. And he looked at me and said, oh man, I'm sorry, I'll pay for it. Oh yeah, you're going to fucking pay for it. So I went and called the supervisor, told him what happened, and they sent in the SWAT team. The SWAT team beat the shit out of him, basically. Oh, <laughs> Took yeah, all yeah. of his stuff away from him and left him in there standing in his tidy whities you know. Yeah, and, assault um, on an officer. Don't, don't do it. Don't uh -uh. do it. You'll get your back yeah, one, yeah. one way. Yeah, yeah, you Anyway, will. I uh, sent the shirt to the prison laundry because I didn't want that shit in my washing machine. Right. When it came back from the prison laundry, everywhere that that bottle had squirted on me was kind of bleached out. You know, we wore that... Uh, what they call it, LAPD blue. Right. And this shirt looked kind of like a tie-dyed purple and white. <laughs> I don't know what he had in that bottle. I'm glad I had my mouth shut, whatever. But anyway, I Ugh. asked the prison for institution for a shirt because it was a dress shirt for the or the uniform. And they said, oh, no, just because he's mentally ill, he's not responsible for his action. So I purposely wore that shirt every week for two years to work. And every time I'd wear it, somebody said, you can't wear that here. Look at it. I'm not responsible for my decisions because I work with the mentally ill. It's a badge of honor. I mean, yeah. every time somebody looks at your shirt, oh, yeah, that's the shampoo bottle with the shit yeah. and piss. But let me tell you, when this dude ended up getting out of prison, he went back to California. While he was in prison, they got him on a buttload of meds. He couldn't even talk or say his name. But when he got out of prison, he went back to California where he's from, became a um, graphic design artist, sent me a card with a check for a hundred bucks in it, apologized for running my shirt and hoped that the hundred dollars would pay for the shirt. And he said, I told you I would pay for it. You see, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. That, and, and that shows that mentally ill people that end up in prison. I mean, some of course are not great right, people, there's but no hope for them. Yeah. You know, and, and you're so used to dealing with those cons that it's a game and they just look for ways to fuck you over. And it's about getting one over on the cops, but the mentally right. ill there it's, it's not like that. I mean, 
granted, they'll kill you. If they're psychotic, they'll kill you. And you've yeah. got to be careful with them. There's just a total different mentality. You're dealing with somebody that has a sickness and it's sad. Right. As far as like self-harm, talking about the, the case of your guy on pill line, I wanted to tell you the story about probably the one incident in my whole career that stands out more than any other. It was 10 minutes till two in the morning. And you kind of get like on autopilot when you work graveyard long enough. And mm -hmm. I had gone up to this cell and it was on the second tier. And I'd looked in the cell. The policy was you got to see skin. And so we do count every hour on graveyards. And so I look in the cell and the guy in the bottom bunk, he's there. He's asleep. He's covered up. But I can still see enough skin to say that he's there. The other guy from the top bunk has his back to me. And he's off to the left. Very narrow window that I'm looking through. And he's at the sink. It's a sink-toilet combination that's metal. And he's, he's washing his hands or doing something at the sink. And he turns and he looks at me and he gives me that look like he's looking through me, that starry-eyed look. But, you know, I saw him, you know, no big deal enough. But I step away and I knew this guy pretty well. I'd worked with him for a while. And so I thought about it and I'm like, I better, I better look back at him because there's something about that look. And when you work in a mental health unit, you get used to that look that don't right. walk away or, or yeah, at they, least inquire. Yep. They've all got their triggers and they've all got their tails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I step back to the cell. I look in the window a second time and the light, I shine it on the floor. It reflects off the floor because the floor is covered completely in that dark, rich, red blood. Instantly, your heart rate starts going up. You start breathing faster. And I look in at him and he's got his back to me. He's standing at the sink and he's washing his hands and he turns towards me and he's got three huge lacerations on the inside of his left forearm. And his right hand is a little disposable razor blade as he's continuing to cut even as I'm talking to him. So I activate IMS. I call for medical. I call for the watch commander. I need help with getting this guy under control. I'm talking to him. And he steps towards me a little bit, but he's not really responding to me. He's just looking at me with that stare. As I'm talking to him, trying to understand what's going on, trying just to get him to stop cutting, he takes two fingers on his right hand and he puts it under the skin and he's going back and forth. <laughs> and you can see the impression of his fingers underneath his skin. And that's where I start getting tunnel vision because I've, <laughs> I've never seen anything like this, Sonny. I've never seen anything like this. He yeah, goes over. Remember, remember Alien when the thing popped out of the belly? What it looked I've, like. Yeah. I've never seen anything not in movies like this, Sonny. Oh, okay. So he goes over and he sits down. I'm, I drop the cuff port to try to talk to him. And as I'm, you know, I'm talking to him, everybody's suiting up. We're going to have to go in on this guy because he's not, he's not going to cuff up. What happens is once we had enough staff there, the watch commander's there, the guy on the bottom bunk never woke up. He was, <laughs> he, he, oh, he was, he was awake. He just didn't want no part of this shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I guess. So we, we get him over to the door and then we do a, a it was a, a hinged door. It wasn't a slider. So we, we have a control room, pop the door. We swing it open. We grab that guy, pull him out close the door, and then once everybody's assembled, ready to go, we go in, and the guy on the shield runs over to him and stops because he, he was told, because it's mental illness, don't hit him and send him flying, but at the same time, you <laughs> got to get him under control. So he runs over to him, stops. I'm like, hit him, man, hit him. So he fucking hits him. We're all sliding around because of all this blood. We all go on the ground. We finally get him cuffed, get him out. He had cut his neck, too. 
really, really intense night. He ended up getting reevaluated by mental health, different medication, different schedule of meds. And he eventually got out. And uh, like a year later, I'm at the McDonald's in Walmart on Riverdale Road. And it was Big Mac Monday. You know corrections officers and Big Mac, especially if they're only 99 cents. <laughs> so I, I go in and I order a Big Mac from one cashier. And then when they bring it to the counter, the guy slides the tray across the counter and I see these three scars. And it was this guy. It was Carson. And he, he had this thing that he did with his mouth. And I'm assuming it's because he's medicated where he would do this like movement, like he's grinding his teeth with his mouth, which I guess is a side Part effect. of dyskinesia. Okay. I did not know that. And yeah, that's a side effect of meds or? Yeah. There's a, we used to call it pill rolling. Sometimes they'll stand in front of you. Or the Thorazine shuffle was another thing they called it. An uncontrolled body movement. Okay. Okay. I've, I've heard of Thorazine shuffle, yeah. but not the other one. But anyways, um, he was medicated. He was working at McDonald's, holding down a job. He eventually came back to prison and he did hang himself. Sad, sad, sad stuff. When I was out there, prison had a contract with the state mental hospital where they had access to three beds. So the Three most mentally ill people we could find in the prison at any given time ended up at the state hospital. Uh, I do remember that there was a deal with the state mental hospital. I do remember that. Yeah, we'd have uh, uh, some mentally ill inmates. Uh, Priscilla was one of them that when she would come back to prison, sometimes she was so fucked up that we couldn't do anything for her. So they would send her to the state hospital first to get her tuned up and then bring her back into the prison system. Yeah, it's, it's sad. So many cases to talk about and yet so little time. Um, is there another issue with self-harm? Another story that comes to mind? I mean, I have story after story after story. <laughs> I, uh, a guy cut his nuts out with a plastic knife one time. And it happens. <laughs> it's not like I just stood there and watched him while he was doing it. The prison has a policy that you can't go in a cell by yourself, even if somebody's doing self-harm or if they're stabbing their roommate to death or whatever. You have to wait for backup. So I see this guy standing there with one foot on his toilet and his underwear is down around his ankle. And he's got his nuts in his hand. And he's sawing them with his knife. And I'm just Jesus Christ, dude, stop. He said, oh, no, I'm in here on a sex offense, and these are the reason I'm in here. So if I take them out, then I'll be better. Oh, and my God. within like 30 seconds, he had cut through the back, <laughs> grabbed the nuts, whacked them off, and threw them in the toilet. And that was before anybody could get there. It's like, all right, dude, it's not going to get you out of prison, and it sure shit ain't going to fix you, but good work. D d I, I, I would think that he would bleed out. There was, surprisingly, there was a, a fair amount of blood, but not that much. Wow. Well, that yeah. takes balls. I yeah, it took say. his. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, we, when you're working with the mentally ill, you realize it's nothing personal when they, when they act out. The next story that I've got to share is uh, a particular person. Utah has a very high population of Pacific Islanders. And this particular individual was Pacific Islander. He was in great shape, really quiet, really didn't talk to me very much. Cordial, nice, but just kind of quiet, uh, stayed to himself. And he had a visit from his, uh, from his mother. 
And there was a barrier. It was, of course, it was a barrier uh, booth visit. And he was meeting with his mother and I was in the, the control room. And I just all of a sudden hear this massive pounding. I mean, it was shaking the control room like, holy shit, what is that? Somebody's <laughs> going off. So I run out of the control room, me and other staff, and we go to the visitation booth when we figure out like where it's coming from. And he's pissed and he's screaming at his mother, calling her a fucking cunt. We get him restrained and we pull him out. And we get him back to his cell and then I go around and I get the mom and she's just hysterically crying that she's an older lady, 50s, 60s. And I, I pull her out and I get her up front. I'm like, you know, what happened? She was saying that she had wanted, she had suggested to her son, if you can get stable enough and get back out to population here in the prison, you've got a cousin that works over in general or lives over in general population if you could live with him you know life would be really good to get back with family and he had told her that cousin had raped him years <laughs> earlier and so it it really triggered him when she's like suggesting that uh he go live with the cousin and she didn't believe him and that's that set him off that really set him off and it, it that was it was it was sad because you know she's just trying to do the right thing I don't know if she really understood his diagnosis or what, what, what he even had as far as diagnosis for mental illness. Right. I don't know if the sexual assault had happened. The, the footnote of this whole thing is, is that I wrote it all up exactly the way that I perceived it to happen, all the details with just the facts. And I submitted it and I got called in two weeks later and the warden had told my lieutenant he needs to take out this part about the sexual assault. This, this is not going to go in the report. <laughs> and it's like, why, why would it not be in the report? That's what she said that he had said, and it's all part of the facts, but it made the department look like it had overlooked a pre-incident. And so they were not going to let that be on record. So take it right. out of the report. That was bullshit to me. I don't know. Well, I don't know. That's, but, the, that's the old thing they tell you. If it's not in the report. It didn't happen. So yeah, that was, Interesting you know, incident with mental illness. Working there in Olympus, we had a lot of guys that tried to hang themselves. I mean, shit, it seemed like it happened every two or three days. But uh, the policy was, if you find somebody hanging, that you're supposed to try to pick them up to take the strain off of the noose and then use your other hand to untie the knot, which is fucking impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Most of these guys are well over the 200 mark. And uh, pretty much anybody that worked out there, the officers that had to deal with this, had something sharp they kept on them for just such an incident. Officer had found this guy hanging, ran in there and lifted him up, but he was a big boy. He couldn't get him, you know, couldn't hold him up and untie it or cut the rope at the same time. Or the, I think it was a towel the guy had used this time. So I ran in there and I, I cut the towel and the guy that was holding an officer that was holding him lost his grip and the dude fell backwards and landed flat on this concrete floor. And when he did, he started breathing again. <laughs> <laughs> so we called that body drop CPR. <laughs> Just the, the shock of hitting the floor. I guess. I, yeah. I don't know what the science was behind it, but it happened more than once and it worked more than once. So, well, you know, we actually, um, I'm going to jump off subject here for a second. We actually did training one time um, when I was a sergeant over in the women's facility about what to do when you find somebody hanging. 
uh, we had done this incident and we had a guy hanging in a storage area, like a storage closet. You know, we tell a, a guy as far as training, go around the corner, do a security check of the building. And we make it obvious so that staff can kind of walk through the process of how to activate IMS, how to handle somebody that's hanging. There was an older guy that was a, a newer officer and he had gone in there. He had seen this person hanging. He had called out IMS and the responders start coming from the other units to handle the situation and start the CPR. And he stopped him and he said, no, 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 don't touch him. He is dead. He is dead. <laughs> and so we do not want to disturb the crime scene. And I never, Sonny, I'd never had that happen before. I'm like, wait, 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 you're, you're, you're pronouncing him dead. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, he's dead. He's expired. And I'm like, the dummy is expired. And so you're not going to cut him down. You're not going to initiate CPR. You're not, you're just going to move forward with investigations. That's, that's how what he felt like, well, you're absolutely fucking wrong. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. The guy was older than me. Yeah. So one of the biggest problems with, with mental illness is when you have a guy that's extremely mentally ill or maybe not extreme, but just has his or her episodes. And then you put a roommate in there and <laughs> that can go south really fast. Yep. And so we had this one particular female and she had very unique teeth. She could eat corn on the cob through a picket <laughs> fence and not a problem at all. She was actually in prison because she had killed her baby. Unfortunately, it happens uh, postpartum depression, other reasons, but she's in prison. She's serving her sentence and she was really easy to get along with. She was in the section and, you know, hanging out and doing her thing and whatever uh, therapy sessions she had to go through. And occasionally we would put a roommate in a room with her. And then after about a day or two, the roommate would come out and say, look, this fucking bitch keeps talking about killing her baby. I can't stay with her anymore. <laughs> Like, seriously, I'm going to jump off the tier if you don't get me the fuck out of that cell. And so we would pull out this particular, uh, this inmate and say, look, why do you keep talking about killing your baby to these new roommates? She's like, oh, it's such good therapy to talk about it. Like, it's not good <laughs> therapy for this girl. She doesn't want to hear about a purple baby that you smothered. The fuck right. is she sick? And we can't get you a roommate, but I love having a roommate, but I also like talking about killing babies. Well, that's a problem there, okay? So we're uh, we're going to go ahead and house you alone again. Thanks a lot, asshole. Well, they had that one room of building out there they called SSD, Special, mm -hmm. Ser Special Services Dormitory. Mm. And some people liked working there. I lasted about five days. And the reason is because it was full of nothing but fucking sex offenders. It didn't matter. Anything, they were sex offenders. If you were an right. SSD, you were touching somebody's baby or something. And part of the security, the officer's job was to sit in on these therapy sessions, group therapy sessions, just to provide security. And you had to listen to the stories these guys told about the crimes they committed, why they thought they did it, and all this other bullshit. And it was like, no, there's a reason they don't let me carry a gun in here. It's of this therapy session right here every one of you fuckers would be dead on the floor <laughs> i i went it's, to the lieutenant and said i i can't do it you can put me somewhere else i don't care graveyards but i'm not sitting in there listening to these sick fuckers tell their stories i i think in one of those situations you can't know about their crimes and and i i know some people love to go in the work in the prison and hear the details about 
what people have done. I, I did, you know, for the first couple of years, and then it's like, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to, you know, end up judging these people. So it's better just not to know. Right. There, there was a guy that I think we both worked with who kind of had a nickname called, was it Helicopter? <laughs> helicopter Dick? <laughs> well, he was, he was a big guy, and he heard voices. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sonny, but he was a product of brother and sister parents. <laughs> is is that is that what you heard? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, it's been a long time. I... He he was fucking massive. I think he. I'm six five. He's taller than me. <laughs> At one time, he may have been heavier than me. I don't know. We're not going to go down that that road that road right now. <laughs> but he at the time he was a lot bigger than me, and he would walk around the section and he would look up towards the ceiling and he was talking to voices. Oh, yeah. And he was an intimidating son of a bitch, but he was really intimidating and made me feel like a little boy because he would come out and sit on the section table, pull out his dick and just swing that thing like Indiana Jones and his whip. <laughs> yep. Yep. And when they got him balanced out on his meds, he ended up in, I think it was temp before they turned it all over to the women mm-hmm. and he would stand up on the second tier and do the same thing, whip his dick out, and spin it around. That's how he got the helicopter dick. You know how like in gym class when you're a kid and you got that rope in the middle of the gym that you gotta that's what the other inmates would do is they would just grab onto his dick and climb up to the second climb, climb up to it, <laughs> slap him on the balls and climb back down. Yeah, 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 yeah. It works for a great exercise. Yeah, that he was uh I think that he was in because he had raped or sexually assaulted a, a disabled girl. And it was probably right. because of some other facility that he had been housed at. But then, you know, he came to prison. Very sad case. Very intimidating individual. Yeah, his we'll dick was that. so long that when we'd give him a new set of shoes, we'd give him three shoes. Oh, wow. One wow. for each foot and one for his dick. Do you remember, and I don't know why this person pops into my head. I don't think you and I were working at the mental health unit at the time, but we definitely both know this guy. It's kind of a a sad case. I think that the guy had actually killed his wife. I think he was serving a life sentence, and he he stayed to himself, but uh, wasn't difficult to He was the librarian, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For a long time. And I guess he just, he was on the bottom tier, and one morning during breakfast, he went over, he got his tray, went over to the stairs, went up the stairs, which they're not supposed to do because he lives on the lower tier put the tray down, went headfirst over the railing right down to the second floor of concrete, uh, headfirst, never broke his fall, never put his arms out, went headfirst right into the concrete. And I guess for people that were working, it was unbelievable. I mean, because I think it's instinct that anybody that was going to, even if you kill yourself, when you realize what's going to happen, you're still going to put your hands out to break the fall. He did not. His head, I think he broke his neck. He cracked his skull and had major swelling. And But he didn't die right away. He lasted several days huh. in the hospital. They, I heard I, that they cut out a chunk of his skull and it was in a jar next to his bed to see wow. if, the, if the swelling would go down in his head. They could put the, put the cap back on when it went down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, hey, don't forget that. That goes with him. Yeah, this this guy you're talking to, when I started out there, he was the librarian over in Wasatch, and he, he was one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. I was doing a crossword puzzle, and one of the uh, the clues was Knight Backer, K-N-I-G-H-T Backer, P-A-C-K-E-R. Uh-huh. And 
it had to have been pawn, right? That's what I'm thinking. It's a chess piece. Yeah. I'd been beating yeah, yeah. on this thing for a day, and I finally went in and asked him what it was, and he said, it's pips. You know, Gladys Knight and the pips. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Four-letter word starts with a P. It's not pawn. It's pips. <laughs> Again, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. There's a lot of people in prison that are brilliant, and they can the, create some amazing shit out the of prison, what you... The prison fucked him up because when he was the library and he was a, on an even keel mm -hmm. and they started fucking with him, he had certain proclivities. One of them was he couldn't be housed with somebody because if he did, he would just shut down physically. He would right. sit there until, until he shit himself. Or, and they kept doing that. They kept putting him in with somebody, putting him in with somebody until he ended up over there at Olympus. And you see where they pushed him right off the edge. <laughs> you know you got to have a sense of humor to work in a, in a correctional facility because there's just this really dark sense of humor and i've been told i've been told my my whole life before i worked in a prison like man your sense of humor is really really yeah. dark that's what the hell's wrong with you <laughs> what yeah. that's not funny but i i think <laughs> you know and and tell me if i'm wrong sonny that when you work in that environment, if you don't learn to laugh at everything, it's gonna get it's gonna get inside your head. Oh, you have to. You have to yeah. make jokes about it. Another another case, and you know, you start to get into situations where you talk about the rights of offenders. You know, and of right. course, you have the right to medical, the right to to communicate, the right to legal. And one of the people that I worked with uh, over the years was a very high profile case, and this particular individual had sued. The Department of Corrections, and it went all the way to the state Supreme Court because he wanted the right to drink blood because he was a vampire. That's that was his <laughs> argument, and it was you know religious. We were imp impeding on his religious freedoms, and I and I worked with this guy inside the prison. I don't know if he was classified as mentally ill, but it's just it's kind of a fun case because it did go to the Supreme Court in Utah. I'm like, I know that guy. I know that dude. <laughs> he, he again, he was he was normal to to work with, but he he sued. And wanted uh, you know to be able to drink blood, and I don't know. I don't know where would the blood come from? Like who's supplying? I don't know. Is there an underground of vampires in Utah that would normally supply blood, or does the culinary have to supply it? Because it's like a special diet. Oh, does it have to be blessed by a satanic preacher before he can eat it? Or I don't know. I don't know. I mm -hmm. wonder. You know, I should probably try to look him up on Facebook. But, I don't think he ever got out. Is this the same cat that wanted everybody to call him Red Elk? I don't know. Oh, no, no. That's a different guy. The oh, one that okay. I'm talking about was a lot younger. Oh, that Red Elk guy, he was notorious for getting stupid-ass lawsuits all the way to the Supreme Court. He, he's the one, the, the Native American, right? I mean, he wanted to be known as a yeah. Native American. Yeah. And that, that famous joke about two dogs fucking, he, I know he didn't like that joke. He didn't think that was funny. <laughs> If you have not heard that joke, please look it up. We're not going to waste our time talking about it. It's a great joke. Make sure you know your audience if you're telling a joke. Right. And I learned from him that's not a funny joke, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? There was a, a female that, uh, that was in the mental health unit, and she would self-harm, but it wasn't to try to kill herself. She just wanted attention. And this particular one that I'm talking about, we'll call her Barbara. Barbara had done something probably drug related, probably like a meth lab or something. It had her damaged her, her arm. 
I mean, her arm was real atrophied and it looked like a T-Rex arm and it was like kind of curled <laughs> up. It was smaller than the other arm, but it was that way because she would constantly hurt it or damage it and try to keep it infected. And she would do that because she would get attention from medical staff. And you, you got to look at the perspective of somebody that's mentally ill. And in this case, she wanted attention. And so she keeps her arm constantly affected. We would do cell searches and find old gauze and old bandages that just reeked of rotting flesh. And she was stuffing it into her arm or wrapping her arm yep. so that medical would constantly have to come see her. And well, then she would sit there and talk with the medical just staff. Like the guy we spoke of that had cut himself open. You know, you get people like that, you have mm -hmm. to four point them and get everything healed up before you could let them go again. And, then they turn around and sue your ass because you were trying to help them. Sad. Is there any person that you dealt with that was in the mental health facility, weren't diagnosed mentally ill, but it was easier to spend their time with mentally ill inmates than regular population? Oh, Whether shit. It be, they, they all tried that at one time. Right. Was there one that you personally remember or a story associated with that? Uh, we call it malingering. Okay. I do remember a kid that did that and he convinced the psych department that he was crazy. I knew he wasn't. Everybody knew he wasn't. He just wanted to get into the psych unit or Olympus and do his time spaced out on meds and just float by with his two years, three years he had to do. The problem was, is he convinced them so well that they put him on medication that fucked him up. <laughs> He was so fucked up when he got out, he should have went to the state hospital. <laughs> but he, he wasn't before he got into it. Yeah. <laughs> See, Be you, careful you what you games. asked for in prison. Crazy the things that happen in prison. I, I heard the one story over in Wasatch, and a guy was having a seizure, and it was somebody that we worked with in the mental health facility, but he was in regular population at this point, and the roommate saw an opportunity He's incapacitated. He's moving around. He'll be a good ride. So he fucked him. He pulled down his <laughs> pants and fucked him while he was having a seizure. Yeah. And and that's one of those stories that's terrifying about prison. Yeah. You got to get them during the dying quivers. That's the best time. <laughs> so sick. So sick. <laughs> the Have I ever told you the story of the spider bite? This wasn't. <laughs> the, I have, apparently. Yeah. So, so this is not a, a case that happened in the mental health unit. Clearly, something's not right there. That This is, I guess, more of like your standard inmate, but it definitely ties into some of the extremes that we deal with. I had this guy, and he had a spider bite, and he said he'd gotten it from the Davis County Jail. Now, this spider bite was so intense, it was on the back of his calf. And when you took the bandages off, you could see muscle fiber, muscle tissue. And when he would like move his leg up and down, you could see the muscle underneath. You could actually see it contracting. It was a big wound. And medical would have to repack it and put whatever ointment or oil or whatever inside that thing on a daily basis so until it all closed up. But so the guy was one of those guys that had got a PM box, whether he was hypoglycemic or diabetic, I don't know. But he had called me to a cell one night and he had said, hey, look, uh, I've got blood in my stool. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, I'll call medical. So I call medical and they're like, well, we need to see the, the stool. We got to test it. So, all right. So I had to figure out something for this guy to collect a sample in. So we have these UA cups. 
Now, the inmates, of course, you know, Sonny, they can't have possession of the UA cups because we collect urine samples and randomly do drug testing. I had this UA cup, and that was the only thing I could think of to get dual for medical to test this guy for this blood in the stool. <laughs> so I get this UA cup, and I take a magic marker, and I mark it all up, and I give it to this guy. And then I space it. I forget about it. You know, the end of the shift comes. Like a week, week and a half later, I'm doing a cell search in this guy's cell, and I find the cup, and it's got this macaroni salad in it, macaroni or potato salad. And it's just <laughs> one of the stupid things that they do because the guy gets a PM box. He wants to preserve it, so he puts it in there so it'll last a day or whatever. So I'm like, ah, fuck, whatever. I, I'm glad that I found it, not some other staff. What are you doing giving you a cup to anybody? So I open this thing, and I'm like, God, you know, this stuff's going to go bad. And I take a whiff of it, and Sonny, I swear <laughs> to God, I almost, I almost fucking passed out. The guy that I was working with, Jeff, he, like, grabbed me like, man, are you okay? He said I turned green. Well, yeah, that's the old rule. If it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. <laughs> well, I hadn't learned yet. I was new. I was a fish cop. So I, I, what happened was, is the guy, in order to sue Davis County, he kept scratching or keeping his leg infected and keeping tissue from his leg in the cup to let it rot so he could rub it back in the leg and keep it infected. <laughs> then he'd have a case against Davis County. <laughs> just nasty i mean i don't know a free payday whatever but it, clearly you got to be mentally ill to be able to do something like that it's just nasty <laughs> that, the lawsuits out there were always uh, hilarious i uh i signed on to one with this inmate just just to see if they let me he wanted to the doctor at the u had told him that he needed to swim laps in order to rehabilitate a back problem or something so he sued the prison to have him build a pool <laughs> and it, it went to court and I told him, I said, yeah, I put my name in it because I want that job. I want to be the lifeguard that <laughs> throws the, the cement life preserver to you guys when you're drowning. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would have been actually really nice to have a pool being a graveyard shift. They're all know, locked right? down at 10. Like, let's go for a swim. Can we get a hot tub too? <laughs> you know, they made their own hot tubs. They uh, would take those big ass laundry carts. Uh-huh. Line them with plastic bags, put them in the shower, and fill them up with hot water. <laughs> tell you, the, the thing is, is if you're a germaphobe, you could never work in a prison, man. <laughs> no. I mean, everything. Like, I, and I always used to make joke. You know, when you go in to take a shower, make sure you always wear your shower shoes because you're basically stepping on like a million babies. Yeah, shower it's, babies. Oh, yeah. It's so nasty in that place. <laughs> I know we talked about, like, self-harm and stuff. Any other uh, self-harm stories that you can remember, Sonny, that were that kind of stand out? I mean, uh, we could talk all night about when they cut or attempt suicide and stuff, and it's it's tragic, but it's also sticks in your brain. I mean, your story about guy, the egg. You know, A-Block's got four levels, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We had a guy face plant off the fourth deck into one of the heater registers down below. They never did figure out if he was killed or if it was suicide. He was huh? throwing or jumped from the fourth tier. Yeah. Oh it, my God. Yeah. His, his head popped open like a melon. There was shit everywhere. Oh my God. Were you working in the block or you were just one of the responders to, I was a quarter sergeant at the time. And yeah, one of the responders and the guy that was in the cage, there was only one officer in the cage at the time. He saw it, saw the guy hit Ooh. and he locked himself in the cage because he didn't know what the hell was going on. And then were uh, they 
Were they out on wreck at the time? I mean, were they yeah, yeah. back then? A block was just another housing unit. It wasn't part of R and O or the ninety dayers or anything else. So it was, yeah, during the day, you know, everybody's out till count time. So yeah, I mean, I, I can totally understand where he would lock himself in that office because how many, <laughs> how many inmates of that block house? Oh Jesus, I don't know, hundred and something. Jeez, oh my God. Inmates used to fuck with that officer particularly after that happened. This was back when they were still allowed to smoke. So every tier had a great big ashtray by the stairway. So the inmates put their cigarettes out. <laughs> They'd take those big ass, and these were big ass ashtrays, like 50 pound steel buckets. And they would take them over to the top of the officer's cage and drop them on the roof just to fuck with that officer. <laughs> oh, that was scare the shit out of somebody. Yeah. Well, I know this didn't happen when I was at the mental health facility, but there's extremes like you have the self-harm stuff, which is sad. And of course, suicide. There was one particular incident that happened, and this was after I had left, but it was a pretty high profile thing. I knew the two people involved, but the one guy was a heavy set child molester and he was housed with this gangbanger who happened to be gay. And I guess the, the gangbanger, when he was a kid, he got molested. And right. the two of them were not getting along. And the child molester went to the staff and said, hey, look, I can't live with this guy anymore. And the staff, I heard, had told him, unless you fill out a protective custody form, you have to live with him. So right. he went back, and I guess he didn't do it. So the roommate strangled him. And then took a big pin, a clear barrel big pin, and stomped it into his skull. So uh, I don't <laughs> know. If it was to flat. make sure. Huh? Yeah, I guess he wanted to drive the point home. But he, uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess I don't know if that particular pedophile triggered him and brought back memories to his childhood. But you know, I dealt with the child molester, or not the child. Mol I dealt with the child molester, but the gangbanger. I dealt with him over an R and O years earlier he had come right. in and got his ass kicked by another gangbanger who picked him up and threw him into the toilet and broke <laughs> the whole orbital of his face they were they were the tiermen of the particular block and i said what happened to your face because it was really black i mean it was bad <laughs> he goes oh i'm stupid i slipped in the shower i i, I had on the shower. shower yeah like that stereotypical response and I said, no, 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 no. And then his roommate jumped in. No, no, he he did. He slipped. I saw it. So yeah, you can fuck off. Turn around, cuff up. We're pulling you out. So I pull him out and pulled him down to an area where he was away from all the other inmates. And I said, look, man, tell me what's going on. And he started crying. And he's like, you got to protect me. <laughs> and so he had told me the story that they had gotten into it. And I think that the other dude, the roommate had wanted a blowjob and and I guess the roommate wasn't his type because he told him to fuck off. And so they got in a fight and, you know, those things happen. Gays can get violent, too. We don't just claw eyes out. <laughs> Scratch your eyes out, bitch. That's it. That's it. That's it. Speaking of blowjobs. Okay. Um, <laughs> as quarter sergeant, I got a call from the officer that was waking work in A-West. And it was count time. So... He said, hey, I, I got to do count, and I can't get this guy in his cell. Do you mind coming down here? So we go running down there, and there's our Ed is on his knees in front of this guy's cell, 
he's reached through the bars. He's got hold of this kid's ass cheeks and he's pulling him to the bars and blowing him. Ed, it's count time. You can do that after count. Let go of him. He said, no, no, no. He promised me two packs of smokes if I gave him a blue job. Wow. <laughs> so we had to pull Ed off of this guy's wiener and stick him back in his cell just so Ted could finish count. Well, the, the guy that's getting blown that Ed will not let go of. What was he doing when you're trying to talk reason in Ed saying, Ed, he not was trying the time. to pull away, but Ed freaking out through the, yeah, he was pushing off. He was just a kid. He was, I said, kid, he was probably 120 pounds, you know, and Ed in his prime was a pretty good sized guy. Wow. But yeah, he was doing everything he could to get away from him, but Ed wasn't going to let go till he was done. <laughs> he was determined. He was. He, he wanted the he want, two packs of cigarettes. Did he really want the two packs of cigarettes, or did he just really love sucking cock? That's what it boils down to. I don't know. Ed was a strange one. We had to when we fed the inmates in the culinary. You had the officers' table there, right by the door, and the, as the inmates walked, you walked out after they ate. You would, you know, visually check, make sure they're not stealing anything, whatever. We saw Ed leaving. And he had this fucking carrot that looked like a Louisville slugger. <laughs> this is not going to end well. I called the block. He was on dog block at the time. So, hey, keep an eye on Ed. He's up to something. The officer there was busy and couldn't. So we went, after we got everybody fed, we went down to dog block and did a tear check. And sure as shit, we found Ed on his bunk, ass in the air with that carrot buried up his ass. Oh. <laughs> Ed, give up the carrot, man. <laughs> No, no, this is my carrot. I took it. We had wow. to call the we had to call the med tech down there to pull this carrot out of his ass. There were so many stories about him throughout the years. Oh, he was his, famous. His his sex sexcapades, I guess is what we'll call it. But yeah. I mean he loved his Popeye was his uh boyfriend for a while. Yeah. Popeye, uh, I understand, ended up getting he had full blown AIDS. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm assuming that by now he succumbed to the, the AIDS because, you know, he'd had it for years before they have the medication that they do now. Right. But he he was pretty scary himself. But I guess him and Ed were in a relationship inside prison at one point. How romantic. <laughs> <laughs> but in, And the thing is, is the urban legend about this character that we're talking of is that he had killed his landlady raped the corpse and then drove around with oh, it. kept her in the freezer but didn't he he dethought her and put her on the he loved he loved that story he loved that urban he, legend he made the story up just to give right. him some juice in prison but yeah the story was he he killed her raped her after she was dead stuck her in the in the freezer take her out have sex with her yeah and one yeah. day he took her out for a drive in the car an officer pulled him over for a busted taillight, and that's how he got busted for murder and rape and everything else. He was just well, trying to be nice and took her for a ride. You know, I read I read his his actual jacket, his pre-sentence investigative report, and right. the real story was so boring compared to the urban legend. Because <laughs> the real story, and I don't know if you know this, because I actually read it. They found the landlady, and she was in the doorway of her apartment. She was dead. Her underwear was pulled down to, like, her knees or her ankles. They could not determine if a sexual assault had happened. That was it. Yeah. And it was so boring. I'm like, oh, what a letdown. So, again, another reason not to read their jackets. 
<laughs> just let them tell you what they did and then it'll be so much more dramatic and exciting and you know grab the popcorn let them talk it's much more enjoyable <laughs> well that uh that wraps up our episode about the mentally ill i hope that we're going to come back and do another episode on the mentally ill sonny <laughs> the mentally ill yeah sonny or the mentally ill officers <laughs> we'll, we'll do the officers next time but you know it, it, again there's that fine line you know and there I think is. That you and i are right there on the edge sometimes i cross that line <laughs> i think we all do <laughs> so you've been listening to the gay florida man and i'm going to end this with my thought that i tell you every time be good and if you can't be good be good at it and if you're in prison you're not good at it there you go <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. <laughs> See you.